invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 15. This morning in a summary form, we will uh, consider the whole chapter of Genesis chapter 15, the covenant with Abram. We'll begin our reading from Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. That Your promises are yes and amen because of who You are. All that You promise, You bring to pass. You do not change. You are not a shifting shadow. You do not change Your mind. But what You determine to do, You do. Of Your own free will. And Father, we ask that that great promise would rest upon us today. That you are very great. 
And we should have confidence because of who you are and who you've proved yourself to be. We pray in your name. Amen. I don't, I don't think it's a, an overstatement to say that dispensationalism has had a devastating effect on the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what dispensationalism is, it's the idea that God has had a changing plan from the beginning of the world, that he offered salvation to Adam and Eve, they rejected it, and so he moved on to plan B. He offered salvation uh, to Abram, who rejected it, and so he moves on to plan C. He offered salvation through the law to Moses and the people, and they rejected it, and so he moves on to plan D, and on and on. And finally, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he offers the kingdom to Israel, they reject it, and so he has to die on a cross. It presents a God who is impotent, who is confused, who is disheveled, who cannot bring his plans to pass. He's unable to accomplish his promises. It presents the crucifixion of Christ as plan H of God's redemptive purpose. Jesus' birth and life and death were a roll of the dice. God is crossing his fingers up there that maybe, just maybe, someone will love him. But when we view the Scriptures correctly, we find that they represent God's plan of redemption as the single uniting theme of Genesis to Revelation. From the pronouncement of the curse to His numerous promises to His people, humanity has been marching toward one single event, the introduction of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and His accomplishment of our redemption. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and, and focused on that verse and, and noticed especially the last phrase where God promised that a single individual, a descendant of Eve, would come and accomplish redemption for God's people. How would He do that? By crushing the head of the devil. After that, something happened. <clears throat> Adam and his family, his wife and his family-to-be, were booted out of Eden. And just so that he wouldn't be tempted to come back in some other way, God set a gate. He guarded the way back in by two angels and a flaming sword. To remind Adam all the days of his life of what he forfeited by choosing to sin against God. And so the question that that sets up for us is this. How will he get back? If that garden up there, if that place is the place of Adam's blessing the place that God especially made for him to dwell in communion with his Lord, he needs to get back up there. Can he? 
Can humanity's fellowship with God be restored? Will, when will the God-man arrive? When is He going to get here to crush the head of the devil? Maybe He's the one who's going to lead us back up into the presence of God. Well, as we looked at that, we noticed that Adam and Eve expressed a sort of anticipation. Adam called his wife's name what? Eve, which meant mother of the living. He didn't say, well, I guess wife, you're going to give birth to a bunch of dead men. Adam expressed his faith that God would bring life through him and his wife. And and Eve expressed a similar sort of hopefulness. If you uh, read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And and one thing that you may not know is the with the help of isn't in the Hebrew. You could translate it this way. I have gotten a man. Yahweh. It's possible that Eve believed her firstborn son was the God-man. Who would vindicate the hatred that she felt in her heart towards Satan. But we learn, in fact, he was of the evil one. In John chapter 8, verse 56, we're told about a different sort of anticipation of our patriarchs. Jesus there was having a a duel of words, as it were, with the Pharisees. And they say, our father is Abraham. Jesus says, well, if your father was Abraham, you would have believed in me. But your father is the devil. In John 8, 56, he went on to say, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. You see what Jesus is saying is that Abraham, with the eyes of faith, was a man who had his his perspective was the horizon and what was to come. His heart was set on the promise of God to him that this Messiah would come. All those years ago, Abram was filled with hope for the coming Messiah. Just as you and I, we think about this Christ, about what Christ's advent means to us, the purpose that it has for us and bestows on our lives, we have to remember that the old covenant saints shared in this same hope. And rejoicing over Christ's coming. And as we come to Genesis chapter 15, I want to point out three things to you that are revealed at this point in redemptive history, showing us the hope of our old covenant ancestors in in the faith. We'll look at the gracious nature of God's covenant we'll see that righteousness comes by grace through faith. 
and that God himself will keep this covenant and make it sure. And notice, first of all, the gracious nature of God's covenant. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, something interesting happened. A man named Nimrod was leading some men through the wilderness, a large group of people. And they came to the valley of Shinar and they said, let's stop here and let's set up a city. I'm tired, perhaps Nimrod said, I'm tired of of looking up there and, and the way being guarded to go back up. Let's build a tabernacle, let's build a temple. And so they began to build this, probably some sort of ziggurat that you've seen seen all over the world, a stepped pyramid up to heaven. And what was their goal? They wanted to breach heaven. We're going to get back up there ourselves. And God humiliated them by bringing judgment upon them, by dividing their language and creating all of the nations of the earth. And in his own show of contempt, God then descended to Abram and he said, Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make your name great. Greatness, you see, doesn't come by the work of men. It comes by God's work in a man's life. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God chose Abram out of all his descendants and bestowed promises on him. These promises of a great name, of land, and of a multitude of descendants were not earned by Abram. They were given. How do we know that? Because when God came to Abram, do you know where Abram was? Worshiping the gods of his fathers, according to Joshua 24.2. He was not seeking the Lord. God sought him. God called him out and told him to leave his family. By the way, which was a large family, at that point there had been ten generations from Adam to Noah and ten generations from Noah to to Abram. And at that point, Noah or Abram would have known his ninth great-grandfather who was still living at that time, Noah's son Shem. That was the family that Noah was, that Abram was to depart from. And, and God had given him these special and powerful promises. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you land and a descendant. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, we find an Abram who's 75 years old and with a wife who's 66 years old, and they are sitting in their tent saying, how are these things going to come to pass? And we find Abram struggling with doubt Why was it taking so long? Wouldn't it be better, Lord, if I have a son in the years of my strength and vigor, I can train him? But God's purpose for Abram, do you see, was to make him wait so that it would be evident to all that this son whom God gave to Abram did not come by nature. It came by a sovereign deliverance. It had to be confirmed that Isaac was from God, a son of promise not naturally born. And this is a reminder then of the gracious nature of God's covenant with man. 
Here is Abram struggling with this doubt. When is it going to come to pass? And what does God do? How does God respond to this weak man? He responded to him by assuring him. Not by chastising him. Not by saying, buck up, man, come on, get it together. He said, Abram, it will come to pass. You have my word and trust yourself to me. You see what's happening in this passage. God is bending down to Abram to show him his mercy. He's coming down to him, not in Abram's strength, but coming down to put his loving hands under Abram to strengthen him in his weakness. Now, this is the sum and the substance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God comes down. Even now in our worship, God comes down to us. We don't invite Him here. He enters in and invites you to come to Him. He condescends to us so that we might delight in His presence. But here's the other question of redemptive history. How can we dwell in God's sight? How can we dwell in His sight? Why doesn't He snuff us out? What gives us any right to think that we might utter His name? The second thing that we see is that the righteousness we lost in the fall comes to us by grace through faith. Look with me at Genesis 15.6. God utters all these promises. He reassures him that he will have a son. And we read there in Genesis 15.6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Adam, when God made Adam, he created him in knowledge, in righteousness, and in holiness. What this means is that before Adam fell, he could observe God's revelation of himself in nature. He could hear God's word, and he understood it. There was no pollution in him. There was no foolishness, no folly, no temptation to deny the Lord at that moment. He lived in righteousness. He was perfect in God's sight, no sin in him, so he could live in God's sight. And he was holy. But when Adam fell, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness were lost. And as we, as we move through the Scriptures, we see that this sinfulness is expanding through the earth like an infection. It's in Adam's son. And by Genesis chapter 6, we see that men are, men are giving themselves over to the lust of their flesh. It is a land plunged into wickedness. But here's an odd thing. There was one man, one man in Genesis chapter 6, about whom it says, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And his name was Noah. Well, how is that? All of these other men are prevented from coming to you and there's w wickedness throughout the land, but there's one man 
who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. What did he do? How did he escape the curse? (coughs) We finally find out in Genesis chapter 15, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And here we learn that how humanity will be restored to the Lord. How is it going to come? Well, it comes by faith. By grace through faith. If you've got your Bible, uh, turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see, what we learn here is that Abram is living his life by faith. Not that he never stumbles. And again, this accents God's grace to him. But Abraham is living his life by faith, looking forward to the promises of God, just like you. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 4, would point to Genesis 15, 6 as the revelation of the gospel to us. He says, why was Abraham declared righteous in God's sight? Was it because of the works that he did? And all of us would look at Abraham's life and say, well, no, that can't be. He lied Abraham was declared righteous in God's sight on the basis of his faith. You see, here we begin to get a a nugget of information, a revelation of truth about how man is going to be restored to a right relationship to his God. How the work of of Adam will be undone. Paul goes on to say, this blessing is for Jews and Gentiles. You see, so... Throughout redemptive history, the hope for mankind has always and only been the coming of a deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of promise. The one who will come and destroy the works of the devil and reconcile us to God. The blessings of Christ are given to us as they were to Adam and to Abraham by grace through faith. Lastly, let's notice together that God Himself will keep the covenant. After Abraham expressed his faith in the Lord in this way and it was credited to him as righteousness or accounted to him as righteousness. God set it to his account. 
God does something special for Abram to bolster his faith, to confirm his promise. God entered into a covenant. Now, think about what he asked Abram to to do. He said, go and get me these three-year-old animals and these birds. And Abram, he went and gathered them up. And in the typical covenant ceremony of that day, he divided the bodies of those animals in half. You can only imagine how long that might have taken. But he took those carcasses of those animals and he laid them over next to one another so that the blood would run down and form a river of blood. According to the ancient Near Eastern custom, the parties of a covenant would walk between those pieces. And what was being signified there? As they contracted with each other, they were saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, let this be done to me. As these animals have been treated, I will be treated. But notice what happens. God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Abram. And in a vision, a theophany appeared and a manifestation of God appeared to him, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And who passed through those pieces? Did Abram? No, Abram was asleep. Who passed through the pieces? Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. Each time God manifests Himself to His people, He comes as a consuming fire. You think of the the pillar of fire that uh, passed before the Israelites at night, or the the flaming uh, 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 bush that uh, Moses saw in Exodus chapter 3. God is manifesting Himself, and He alone passed through those pieces. What's happening here? God is reminding Abram that he alone bears the responsibility to ensure that covenant is fulfilled. And if there is any unfaithfulness at all, it will come upon him. We read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 18, that, that there was nothing greater for God uh, to swear to Abram by but himself. So what did he do? He swore by himself that this covenant would be fulfilled. And indeed it was. Every condition, every condition was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. God promised Abram the fulfillment of his covenant fell upon God's shoulders that he would bear the consequences of covenant breaking. And indeed, he did in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we look forward to the advent of Christ. With Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. In the history of redemption, since Adam's fall, that God has related to his people by grace through faith. Under the era of the old covenant, faithful men looked forward to the advent 
of a Savior. They looked forward and they rejoiced. Now, we live in the light of the accomplishment of God's promise. The same redemption promised to the patriarchs is offered to us through Jesus Christ. As we celebrate the advent of our Lord, we join in the celebration of all the faithful through all time. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we think about Your grace toward Abram and Your love for him, a love that moved You to descend, to come down to him, to show him Your favor, to bolster him, to enable him to persevere, we we ask You for that same grace through Christ. Lord, that You would make us partakers with Abram in the blessings of Jesus Christ. We thank You, O Father, that You have chosen to mercifully accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ as our righteousness and that You caused Him to suffer in our place. Lord, we ask that this would have a very deep effect upon our hearts and minds. That we would go on and on and on in praise of You for all that You've done for us. And that we would be steadfast in our hope. Why? Because you promised and you graciously did it. And Father, we praise you in the name of Christ and for the sake of his glory. Amen.